All right, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is, this is episode 99. 99. That's a 99. big number. It's it very close to 100. It is so close to 100. Yeah. But it's not 104. 104 is an auspicious number that, that is in our future, but it's not. It, it is. Well, I mean, soon. But yeah, like down the road. Down the road. Kick it down the road, peace. Hey, this is science in between. I'm this Ollie. science in between. I'm Scott. That's Ollie. Yeah, that's Scott. And I'm Ollie. And yeah. hey, welcome, welcome back. Welcome Glad you're back. here. Yeah. You want, you want to set this up? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to tee this up and then you tee can, up. you can hit it. You can I'll hit try. It was like pro golf or whatever yeah. it's called. No, it, what's I'm, that where they like stand in those, those like, uh, you know, they're like uh tiered, uh, golf places where you like just hit, it's like a golf range, but there's like four or five levels and there's, it's like a thing anyway. It's a thing. I yeah, guess I've never, golf, I, so I don't know. I've, uh, I've never I've, heard that before. Yeah. I've seen they it. Have it in cool places, not like state college, but other cool mm. places. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So back to the, back to the future. <laughs> so, so what we're doing is this week, we're actually, uh, we decided that last week was not our best work. Uh, yeah. That, so we're, we're going to pretend that episode didn't exist. It's the episode. What, what episode? I don't know. <laughs> Episode it was in 98. It's like 1998, the year. I don't even know what happened in that year. I don't know. Nothing. There's a, it's a, it's a year that just disappeared from everyone's consciousness. So episode 98, we, we will no longer refer to it ever again. It's a, it's a non-existent episode. I, I feel like that's going to be impossible. I think we'll continuously, I think the opposite will happen. Yeah. We'll be like, it'll yeah. become a theme of the show. That's well, right. it's not like it's episode 98. 98. That was not our best work. Um, that, that's, so, I think that's truer to our, our form right there. That's, that's yeah. Well, we'll see. That's you're predicting the future, but that, but that seems to fit today's show because what we're going to do is skip back to episode 97, which was, is the future online? And, right. and, uh, we mostly, as Ali described it, were sort of, uh, curmudgeonly old men, like grumbling at clouds or, or whatever. So, um, we're going to try and take a step back from that and say, well, okay, the reality is that education is going to have an increasing online component in, in lots of different ways, right? There's going to be remote, there's going to be hybrid, there's going to be asynchronous, blended. blended, all, all these different things where, um, increasingly, um, I mean, I don't think either of us believe it's ever going to be the majority or, or certainly not the plurality of education being online, but there are going to be big chunks of it that, uh, that are going to be in some version of online. Um, so, so we wanted to talk a little bit about what, what we think that would look like and how to best take advantage of that, given what we know about the current technology, not trying to be too predictive because futurism is a, is just a stupid sport. It's, yeah. Um, it's not my, not my bag. Yeah. If not, you, look, not, you look back at like the horizon report for the last 10 years and it's like, yeah, there's lots of misses, a yeah, couple hits here and there, a couple hits. Um, but what we thought we'd talk about this week is, well, okay, so if part of the future is online, at least, uh, what does that mean for education? How do we think about it? Which I think is a central theme of how we started this show, um, given the pandemic. Between. But we, yeah. we, yeah, but we sort of have moved more heavily into the science teaching piece, science teaching and learning piece. So this is taking a step back and really saying, well, pedagogically, what does that mean to to think about having a big chunk of our schooling and we're talking we'll talk k-12 today k-12 schooling what does it look like um if a bunch of that gets remote or online or just what does it look like in those environments and how do we think about science teaching in those environments well i think that you know coming back to like episode 97 where we talked about uh, whether the future is online i think that you know there's this huge investment by schools during the pandemic at the start of the pandemic to try to get you know laptops and devices into people's hands uh, students' hands and try to get those out to, to 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 families. That I think it's that all of that technology is just not going to sit on a shelf. I mean, it's it's going to get used in some way, and my my hope is it's used in in sound ways, in ways that are going to support student learning. Um, and it's not just hey, go watch some videos, and I'm going to you know the teacher's going right. to go sit in the back of the room and. Yeah drink coffee and read a newspaper right if people Cause, still cause read their bad teaching is still bad teaching no they'll right they'll, they'll read their kindle but it'll still yeah. yeah even even when it's done 
um, with, you know, really good, you know, videos that people would find online. It's still the same as, hey, I'm going to roll the projector into the room and yeah. it's movie day, yeah. you know? Um, and then that goes back to like you and my experiences, but I think that, you know, moving it to an iPad is no different. Yeah. Um, and, or building, um, you know, low level assessment questions around that is probably, you know, not making it, it's like getting that worksheet, you know, yeah. yeah. when, when we were watching the the projector, you know, it's, it, it's really no different than that. So I think that where our time is better spent is looking at, okay, well, what could it look for? What could it look like? And, and how should it look like? And somebody, I think there's really good examples of that. I think there's, so I, I think I, for me, the first place is, you know, um, you know, blended learning, like blended learning is one of these things where you're having students go through, you know, station rotation type thing. That's a model. And that's one of the models I think is the most popular is that students will rotate either individually or as a group through different stations. And this is like pretty common in science classrooms. I mean, this is something we would do, you know, in a science classroom and, you know, you know, 10, 20 years ago, if we, we had like limited lab equipment we were like okay we're going to set up one lab of one station of this one station of this Mm -hmm. one station of this and then so you know on a clock hey you're going to spend 10 minutes at station one 10 minutes at station two and then get this well same sort of things happening with blended learning where a station or several stations involves some sort of you know either a simulation on a computer or some sort of like maybe lesson on a computer but that is part of you know, a group of kids like working through that and then moving to another station where maybe they're applying that and then they're doing to another station. We're doing something else. So, you know, that sort of like station rotation blended learning model is something that I see it's happening now in schools. And I think it will continue to happen and and grow even more. So I think so that wait, can we take a step back, though, and, sure. and have you define what blended learning is in that context? Because it didn't yeah. sound different than what would happen in a normal classroom. Right. So you yeah. said it, you do stations. OK, so what what makes that blended? Yeah. So I think the blended piece is that there's some, you know, from. You know, if you look at the, you know, the blended books, right? The, so this is like, there's a Horn and Staker book that talks about blended learning. Um, they're all about like using online learning as some component in support of, of face to face teaching. Some mix of that, some blending between online learning and some face to face learning. Okay. And how, so, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be the question guy today. Sure. This is your wheelhouse. So I'm going to poke you a little bit here. So, so tell me how that's different than hybrid. Yeah. These words get really mixed up. Right. And, and, uh, you know, when you start talking about like, like, how's it different with, with hybrid and blended, you know, I think it's, it's really, um, based on who you talk to. Right. Mm. Um, and, you know, some people will be like, well, this is, you know, in at our university, we've gone through the last like 10 years shifting back and forth from using those words and also defining them in like our governance manuals as to what like hybrid, what was blended, mm. you know, um, I think from my perspective, and, and this is, um, you know, take this for what it is, I see hybrid as being where they're spending some part of their time not in the face-to-face classroom. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, hybrid instruction would be that they're doing something someplace else, like at home, Mm -hmm. right? And then coming and doing online stuff. And I mean, they're doing online at home and then coming to do, you know, some sort of face-to-face. So as a hybrid sort of, but again, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, you could talk to, you know, five, 10 people and get, you know, very different responses, Mm -hmm. you know, because they, they are used pretty interchangeably, interchangeably, the hybrid and, and, and blended. Um, But I always see blended as something that's happening in, in a classroom, like within the classroom and a hybrid as something that's um, using locations differently, you know? So, so maybe a distinction we could make that would be helpful for just the way we're, con- we're talking now is so there one axis or one dimension of this is where the students and the teacher are located um, relative to each other. Right. So if you're all in a classroom together, teachers and students, that's just a traditional classroom. If you've got some of your students remote, which means they're coming in synchronously 
and then you also have kids in the class. That's how I tend to think of hybrid, right? Which is, it doesn't have, we're not talking about what they're doing yet. We're just saying like, okay, there's kids in the classroom and there's kids remote, let's say over Zoom, right? And so that's a hybrid environment. A fully remote environment is all the kids are online um, remotely, but it's synchronous. So you're, you're meeting over Zoom. And then there's some online asynchronous where you're all, um, that you're all sort of following a path and, and maybe interacting with each other through message boards or other modes of communication that are asynchronous, but there's not a synchronous communication. So those are the, th the big buckets. And then of course you can blend across those too, where you could have like, okay, well, we have a class today where we're all meeting together, but tonight you're doing some online thing that has a discussion forum that you're also doing or whatever. Right. So there can be mixes of those modes, but it, do, do those seem like reasonable categories of mode? Well, or am I missing something? No. Uh, so here's what I did. I did a quick like Google, oh, right? Googled I, I, I Googled uh, hybrid versus blended. And this, I think, is a perfect example. So I just went to the first three, first three clicks, like uh -huh. first three, first you know, three things, first three. Okay. So this is from a site called Leading Learning. Okay. Oh, so they must uh, so be so smart because they're leading. They must, they're right. leading the learning. They're not just doing it. Uh, hybrid learning is an educational approach where some individuals participate in person and some participate online. Bang. Greed with Scott. So and then, they are, by definition, correct. And then with blended learning, instructors and facilitators combine in-person instruction with online learning activities. Oh, Ollie. 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 Okay. Correct. Okay. Ollie. Okay. So we are, we are one. We're two for two. One each. So we're one for one each. Uh, but wait, there's more because there's three clicks. Temple. This Temple. is from Temple oh, University, Temple. In, which in, for in some reason came up as Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. It was, for some reason came up like high in the search. Um, blended courses and hybrid courses are the terms most likely to be used interchangeably. Mm. Uh, but hybrid courses differ in that their online components are intended to replace a portion of that face to face time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Coming back to what I, I said, mm -hmm. that they're mm -hmm. learning some. So. Mm -hmm. And let's talk to uh, this guy. Let's this is this was guy. the first link. Jeff Bloom. Jeff Bloom. Jeff Bloom. He wrote like um, famous for Bloom's taxonomy, right? Uh, no. He, no, he's I'm the pr principal consultant in virtual. I don't think he is related. No. Um, well, he, virtual, might, he has to be related on some level, right? I mean, they got the same last name, so somewhere deep in the past, those Blooms are related. Yes. Yes. I, I think okay, I'll sorry. leave that to you Ca to carry do. on with your gloominess. Yeah. So he, uh, they have a book he co-authored oh, or or called go. the Five Stage Model of Hybrid Learning. Okay, and so they ask him, "How would you define hybrid learning?" He says, "I would define hybrid learning as being a live event where you have people in different locations." Yeah, that's sort of what I said, basically, right? Blended okay. learning uses a range of different delivery formats. For example, video e-learning, live events. Um, <sighs> So that that is just muddy, yeah, right? There it is. So I think that really captures the messiness of this. But I think that regardless of how we define this or how we use these terms, there's going to be some mixture of people doing things in classrooms and some participation, either some learning happening on site with computers, with face-to-face -face instructors. And some mixture of students working at home online, now, yeah. whether that's and I think that's probably a continuum. We're going to have some students who are going to be fully online. Right. And we have some students who are coming to school and doing some online learning, some whether it, we're going to call it blended, whether we're going to call it hybrid, whether we're going to call it vir yeah. you know, virtual instruction and like they're going to come there and work in a separate room and learn online because they don't have the access to technology at home mm -hmm. or, or something, right. There's yeah. going to be some, it's going to be a mix. So then let's talk about given that, um, are there, and, and this goes to something that you and I have had as a project for a while, I think that has had various forms, which is what might be some principles, some design principles that would be, productive or mm. useful that you can think across these different environments that help us think about 
because I think in the same way that we were just saying bad teaching is bad teaching, right? Yeah. So showing a showing a film strip in class and show and giving a kid a YouTube link on their iPad, like th- there are subtle differences, and we you can talk about those, but basically we're talking about very similar things superficially. So the question is, what are the pedagogies that you can build on? across these environments or within these environments that um, that are powerful that that you can think about when you're saying like, okay, well, I've got a situation where I've got half my kids coming in remotely over Zoom and half the kids in the class, or I've got, you know, whatever it is, all the, all the variations in between, right? So what, how do we think about, you know, entirely asynchronous? Are there principles that we can talk about that would underlie that? Yeah. I think that, that for me, one of the places I, I start not only as a science teacher, but also as a, as an online teacher, as somebody who works with this a lot is I want to, to see and hear my students. And whether that's in an asynchronous format or n- not, I want to have them be able to, you know, talk and listen to other students. Um, and that's, you know, it could be, you know, written, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. it comes back to that, you know, we were talking about ambitious science teaching before we jumped in here. Um, but I think that one of the things is about that um, listening ideas and then creating explanations. You know, I think if it's, if we reduce online teaching to just clicking boxes with mm. kids responding to low level, you know, call response questions, then I think that is the least common denominator of online teaching. That's going to be like the or low te- bar. Teaching in general, again, right? right. I, mean, I think it right. maps across, right? If what we're doing is <clears throat> lecturing for 45 minutes, handing out a worksheet and having kids spend the last 15 minutes of class filling out a worksheet that they put in your inbox on their way out of class, yeah. like that's not that different than the, than the online version of that. I mean, you you do have a little bit more human interaction, so there are nuances there. But the design principles are are um, are similar, right? Those are designed in the same underlying right. theory of learning and the same pedagogical uh, uh, structures and and goals. Um, so they are they do have a lot of commonality. Those two modes, um, you know, and in the same way, a film strip is different than YouTube. You know, like a, because a YouTube you can you can go back and forth. You can go back and listen. You can pause. You have more autonomy in a YouTube video than you do with a film strip. So there are some sort of nuanced advantages across those platforms. But in many respects, there you're still just consuming a video. Um, yeah. It's just it's slightly different formats and and changes around the edges. So I like I like that. I think that's good. And and it goes back to the uh, you know again the thing that probably could be the name of the show, which is teaching is relational activity, right? And so that means not just you have to connect and relate with your students, but they have to relate with each other. And so that's what you're talking about when you're saying like, look, the students have to talk to each other. And and the reason we rely usually on low level questions is because we're, we're only relying on the cognition of the individual, right? We're saying yeah. like, okay, what does Ollie know? As opposed to how do Ollie and Scott and two other people in a group have a conversation about a question that's a little got a little more meat on its bones and they can learn from uh, talking about rather than like what's Newton's first law? Well, that's that's not a question we're going to have much of a conversation about. And we're certainly not going to learn much from from being asked that question or answering it correctly or incorrectly. Yeah. So if we come from that space right there that, you know, teaching and learning is relational work. Then I think that that gives us, you know, a, a couple of design principles that are kind of embedded in that is one that like, you know, interactions between students and between student and teacher is important. And somehow we have to design for that to happen, whether it's synchronously, asynchronous, whether it's, you know, a blended, you know, environment in a classroom, in a physical classroom, or it's people, you know, engaging from home, it's relational work. And so we have to make that happen or support that in some sort of way and design for that and create a space for that. Um, And I know that a bunch of people who were moving to Zoom during the pandemic were trying to do this. 
they were trying to you know put spaces at the beginning to like do some sort of like icebreaker activities or whatever yeah. to try to like you know make the space less formal didactic presentation mm-hmm. you know provide providing more opportunities and i think we learned how to do that as a as a community you know, as we were navigating that space and navigating the pandemic. So, you know, breakout rooms and how did you break out rooms? But I think it all comes down to, you know, how do we foster relationships in online environments? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, creating space for them to interact is, I think, one of those. Absolutely. Yeah. And there, there are two things that I think about that I want to build on from what you just said. So one is this sort of... <clears throat> um interstices, these opportunities for informal interaction that we get in regular classrooms that is much harder in environments like Zoom or in asynchronous environments, right? Um, Because, you know, like, you know how it is with Zoom meetings. If a Zoom meeting starts at nine, you turn on your camera at nine nine, and you and the meeting starts, you know, sometimes it starts a little after that. But you know, that there's no bumping into people in the hall. There's no talking sure. to people before or after class. So you have to recognizing that those things are actually important. Those, those interregnums, the little bits in between are What's are the name? What's the word you used? Interregnums. Is that really a word? Yeah, it's really a word. Yeah, it's a word. How would you spell that? Oh, inter and then regnums afterwards. I don't even know how to spell regnum. <clears throat> well, you know, be creative. You're a smart guy. Oh. Uh, Wow, they're they're interregnum. Yeah, I I just pluralized it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, defining it. It yeah, it's a period when normal government government is suspended, especially between successive reigns or regimes, Mm -hmm. an interval or pause between two periods of or office or things. Look at you! Mm. Wow, wow, educated. That's me. I know. That's that's awesome. (laughs) I. I learn. I'm. I, I always learn when I interact with you. Words, Doctor McDonald. Words that sound like other words. Yes. Um, so yeah. So so. But those those times are really important, right? And we take them for granted. And and especially this is especially challenging if you're thinking about uh, a fully asynchronous environment, right? Like, how do you create a space right. that that allows for those those light informal interactions that let people connect with each other on more than just like, Oh, here is your answer to this physics problem. It's like, Oh, I I now know something about Ollie. I know he, you know, where he grew up um, or I know something about his parents or I know something about what kind of music he likes or whatever, right? Whatever those things need to be built into those environments because whether whether they're asynchronous or synchronous or whatever, like human interaction doesn't change fundamentally. We trust people that we know and and to be a good, safe space for learning, you have to know the people that you're in class with. And in regular schools, that happens in all sorts of ways. And I'm not saying everybody gets along in school. That's not what I'm saying. But you do yeah. know each other, right? Because you have lunch together, you're in the hall together, you're, you know, you have after school activities, you have all this stuff, right? But when you're in an online, especially uh, asynchronous environment, you have to build that stuff in because it's not naturally there. So you have to say, like, how do you how do you build up the relational pieces that aren't about the content that are about people understanding and trusting and caring about each other? Yeah. And I think that's the the thing to think about when we're talking online is that it's a design space. That, well, they all are, right? Right. Well, I, but I, you're right. Um, you know, classroom is a design space, but we, what we do is we have, it's so much like the other spaces we have in our our world, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we have, you know, houses, we have bedrooms, we have living rooms, we have classrooms. They're all, you know, walls and they're all pe- places where people exist. And so we have these sort of like, okay, these norms of practice that we, you know, we interact with people in, you know, in a restaurant and we know how to interact with people, you know, yeah. when we move to another room, right? Because there's chairs or tables, there's, you know, all of that, that we can move from one to the other in terms of our, you know, use and history um when we move into a a a online learning environment learning management system you know that's a design space just like a classroom is but 
we don't have that same sort of experience because every single person is designing that space differently, mm. you know, and even when there's specific standards and saying like, you know, quality matters or, you know, whoever is saying these are the elements that you should include in your online learning environment, it still looks different. And so the norms of practice don't translate from one to the other really well. So your expectations in one environment may be very different than the expectations in another. Mm. And, and how, so it really comes down to who's designing the space and who's managing the space to make sure that those types of, you know, off task behaviors off task. And I use that not in a negative way because I, no. I, I think they are important because you know, when, when a student walks into my classroom and I see they're wearing, you know, a Steelers backpack, I go, Hey, you like the Pittsburgh Steelers? So do I, you know, right. and, and there's no space for that in a learning management system unless I build it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and if I value it, which I do, then I have to build it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think that the thing that I would say that, that I would capture about that is, is that especially asynchronous, but all online environments are significantly more constrained than regular learning environments. And so you have to work within those constraints to right. build things that feel like, so for example, like the way that you learn all that stuff about how school works and um, like how bedrooms work and how, you know, all that stuff. Like we take that for granted as if that is just a normal, well, you just know that because you know that. Well, you know that because you've been enculturated into those spaces, right? Yeah. But but these online asynchronous spaces, you have less enculturation into. And so your job as a designer is to create opportunities for that enculturation. Now, yeah. sometimes that can happen formally, like here are the rules, here are the things you have to do, here's how you operate while you're here. But we know that humans, that's not a particularly good way to get humans to enculturate into communities, right? That it tends to happen in a much more natural way. Rules are rules, but rules aren't really rules in the sense that they're always socially constructed. And so, you know, they, they vary a little bit. Like what, it, like my rule in my classroom is um, everybody must respect each other. Okay. Well, that can mean a lot of different things. And so how yeah. it gets constructed happens in the activity of doing that. And so really having to think about, well, how do I set norms in a, in an online environment where, you know, I'm not seeing people's faces I can't read their body language. I don't see if they're wearing a, you know, a, a, a Nirvana t-shirt or whatever, right? I can't see any of that. I can't, and I can't use that to, to use my typical ability to understand environments. So now I have to figure out a way to build that in if I'm the teacher there. So, okay, we have, we have this relational work is important. So we have, um, you know, this, you know, planning for these, you know, I'm not going to try to say the word again. Yeah. Interregnum. Yeah, interstices in between times. The 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 informal, um, uh, serendipitous meeting meetings of people like that, or that you have to create that you yeah. you can't that you need, um, and 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 valuing that and yes and, and building for it, designing for it, which is what you were talking about, right? Yeah. So so what else? What else? Because I think that you know that is. I, I think that kind of builds the foundation for, you know, learning because we're like, like right. We, yeah. You know, I, but, well, but I have I think, one, one more, but, okay. but, but maybe you have one more. Yeah. Well, I think the one is, you know, you know, we keep talking about practice as being one of the big ideas that, you know, you and I celebrate. And, but mm -hmm. I think the other thing that's like emerging, in the, especially in the last, like, I don't know, 20 or so episodes is the importance of agency. Mm. Um, and so like, you know, you've sort of, you know, coined this phrase epistemic agency. I don't know if it's your phrase or somebody else's, it, it, but it I, is not, but yeah, carry yeah. on. But, uh, you know, I think that offering some sort of agency for students um, is important. And I think that that can happen in a blended environment where students are, are working, you know, in groups and moving from, you know, station to station, or they're participating at home and learning. I think when we have this, you know, lockstep, you have no choices, you have no, you've got to complete this stuff, you know, these seven modules, and all of them are, you know, it's being dictated how 
students progress and how they show their understanding and how like everything is prescriptive, prescriptive, mm-hmm. um, I, I, and restrictive. Um, I think that re- reduces student agency. And I think that's one of the way, reasons why students check out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, so I'll build on that a little bit. Um, so you said, you know, our magic, one, another one of our magic words, which is practice, We're talking about practice. Um, and I think one of the things that you have to think about, whether you're designing for a face-to-face or online and synchronous or asynchronous or whatever is it goes back to the NGSS and this idea of like learning is more than the content. It is also the practices that the students engage in. So your online learning environments have to comport with that as well, right? You can't just say, okay, now I'm online. So we're we're not going to engage students in the scientific practices. We're just going to do a more traditional sort of textbook driven form of curriculum, right? Where they read something, they answer some questions, maybe they take a quiz, they, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, so so designing for the practices, which is to say, what, what are the activities, what are the things right. that you're asking students to do, and how do those align with scientific practices? So are they building explanations from evidence? Are they developing their own initial ideas? Are you giving them experiences where they're gathering evidence that helps them clarify their understanding of those ideas? Like those kinds of things still have to happen. You can't just say, well, you know, it's online now, so we're just not going to do that anymore. Well, then, then you're not from an NGSS point of view, you're not meeting the standard anymore. And from a teaching point of view, you're not doing good teaching anymore. Like what you've reverted to is, well, my job is to deliver content. And that mode of instruction is bad, whether that's in classrooms, whether that's online, whether it's asynchronous, synchronous, hybrid, blended, doesn't matter, right? All of those environments have to take into account the fact that learning is contextualized in the practice of that learning, and therefore you have to take that into account when you design learning environments. So we have relationships, we have agency, we have practice, practice, practice. Yeah. What else? And I think this was, I, I think those are really good ideas because I think as, I mean, not only for face-to-face classrooms, not only mm-hmm. online, but, uh, but I think I'm thinking about like, you know, immersive experiences that are like, you know, we can see them, you know, sort of on the horizon and, you know, these, you know, virtual reality type things. And it's probably not that far away when we have classroom sets of, you know, Oculus or, or some version thereof, you know, the Mm -hmm. Apple, whatever, whenever they release theirs, um, that it's going to be some sort of immersive experience. But again, if it's just, Hey, I'm going to put this on and I'm just going to be a passive observer. You know, that's one of the things I, 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 we have one, I enjoy it. Um, But when I go to someplace like, I don't know, like the, I can walk around Paris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's immersive, but it's like, eh, yeah, no, I get to see it. Eh. It's not like being there because it's not like, you know, I'm interacting with anybody. I'm just seeing things. Right. And And there's nothing. And so, and while I may have some agency, quote unquote, in that I can choose the path of which I'm walking around, sure. there's nothing else for me to do but but look. Right. And so, but I think that comes back to, you know, how how are we fostering relationships there? Are we, is there relationships <laughs> happening? No. Um, I may have a little bit of agency, but not much. Um, and certainly there's no practice involved. There's nothing for me to to do or anything that's built in. So I think those are some really good ways of framing this stuff that are going to transcend, you know, the now and maybe be a little evergreen. Yeah. And I think I I like that example of travel in the sense that, you know, I think it's Mark Twain that talks about travel broadening the mind, but everybody attributes everything to Mark Twain. So who knows? But, but that idea of like, uh, oh yeah, I can go to Paris by putting on a virtual headset and like wandering around. Well, of course that 
doesn't really make sense. I mean, like you say, it, it it gives you some parts of the experience. It gives you a, it's different than looking at a picture of the Eiffel Tower because you yeah. can wander underneath it and you can wander around it, but you can't, you know, stop at the little cafe and have the pan au chocolat and, uh, <laughs> you know, sit and watch people go by and, and smell and feel and, you know, it rains a little and all the, and, and get the experience of the culture and talk to friends and the same. meet somebody. It's just not, Right. So you say, okay, well, so then if it's not the same, then what you as an instructor have to think about is what is what are the critical pieces? And this is what we're talking about. What are the critical pieces that are missing from that VR experience? And how do you design to mitigate for that? Because yeah. you're if, if you're not going to fly everybody to Paris, then maybe VR is what you have, right? And this, you know, again, with the pandemic, you're not, you're not going to get everybody into school because you can't, because they can't be together. So you're constrained. So now you have to do Zoom. So what do you do? How do you think about, like, re-envisioning? And, and there have to be pedagogical principles that underlie those decisions, because what often happens, especially in ed tech, is they just think the tech is the solution. Right. Well, oh, well, because they're doing it on iPad, it's totally going to change the experience. It's like, no, there's nothing about the iPad that changes the experience. It's what they do with the iPad. You know, again, that if we go back to the YouTube example, like if I show a film strip in class and a kid at home has an iPad and just presses play on the YouTube video and watches it, that's the same experience. Yeah. Like there's no difference. Now, can they do stuff different on the iPad than they can with the film strip projector? Yeah, to some extent they can, right? Because they have individual control. They can roll back and forth. They can do things. They can they can freeze frame spots where they really want to think about it or whatever. Um, but you could do that with a film strip too, you know? So, so <laughs> it's harder. Yeah, you can probably, yeah. yeah. VHS, but, you can rewind, you know? Rewind, yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, but that you that when when we were in school they would talk about that right like if you're going to show a movie that's has a content purpose that isn't just like it's movie day so we're going to watch like so you know some some sciencey movie right like we're going to watch a hurricane movie because we're studying hurricanes so we're going to watch a hurricane movie but if you're doing like real if you're using video or some other form pedagogically you often are showing sections stopping it asking yeah. questions, asking students to talk to each other and then running more or whatever. Right. So, so it isn't the, the technology is what it is, but the, the pedagogy that wraps around it is really what creates the meaning and, and, and makes it part of the design environment. Otherwise it's just a, it's just different modes of the same thing. Yeah. So I, I wonder, you know, when we start, start, thinking about modalities, like you think about the modalities, not just like online and, and face-to-face, but also like synchronous versus asynchronous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about the challenges that are going to be presented, you know, as people are working at different times um, of the day at different paces at different. Mm-hmm. And that, and that my big concern with, you know, asynchronous learning, and I do a lot of asynchronous learning. Um, but in a K to twelve perspective, I worry a lot about isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. students being isolated, and I think that that's going to be one of the big hurdles for people designing in you know asynchronous environments. Of which, you know, we're going to have students who are going to want that, or mm-hmm. parents are going to want that. I mean, for whatever reason. Um, but how do we still design for these positions of agency, positions of relationships? Um, well, and what you practice. just described is is the dark side of right. individualized learning. Like we talk about it like it's a panacea, but it's not. individualized learning can be a very dark thing, right? So it's not all beautiful, just like anything in education. I mean, I think this maybe this is another one of the points of our show in a general sense, which is like there aren't hard and fast rules. That's what makes teaching both so hard and so amazingly cool is that you, there is no heuristic. There is no magic bullet that, that lets you do it right every time. Like just like relationships, it requires work. It requires thought. It requires planning, which doesn't always work out the way you planned, but all of those things are necessary for good learning experiences. 
there isn't a magic bullet, whether it's technology or some tip or trick that that there you're going to be told that's going to magically work every time. It's just not that way. So the question is, how do you think about that? Um, which is why non-responsive environments, which is what asynchronous in particular yep. online learning environments often become, are so antithetical to the way that we think about teaching and require so much deep thought to really do a good job on because they're the place where it is mostly individualized. It's self-paced. It's all these things, right? And so this idea of like, well, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with environments where they're in many cases designed specifically not to force people to interact with each other because there there are logistical reasons why they don't want that to happen, right? Because one person's in Korea and the other person's in America, and they one's sleeping while the other's awake. So, yeah, it's and we're trying to get them to to collaborate on a project or something right. would be next impossible. Right. Um, just based and mean, on mean spirited, maybe right? It's right. just like ooh. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, but I think there's some families who are going, okay, because of whatever, you know, because of, you know, an illness or because of a disability or because of, you know, some mental health things or whatever, that I want my my child to be in a, you know, predominantly asynchronous environment where they're sure. working at their own pace and working when they're able to, um, at a pace that they're able to, um, but that then they see that as a solution, mm-hmm. but it's also creating additional problems sure. that, and so it's not the, you know, magic bullet that, you know, anyone thinks it is. Um, It really just uh, moves the problems, right? It solves some yeah. problems, but creates new ones. Yeah. Um, And I think that's one of the things that we're going to have to figure out as an, as an industry, as a field if we're going to do this and do it well, because if we're going to have just, you know, some percentage of our students, 10, 20, 30% of our students. So if the future is somewhat online and we have some percent of our, our students doing this asynchronous thing, um, we're going to have to figure that out. We're mm-hmm. going to have to figure it out. So it's not an isolated space where we have enough of that already. We have yeah. enough. Uh, and, you know, so the problem, the the solution is not isolating students more. Yeah. It is creating more opportunities for them to have some agency, have some opportunity to foster relationships, and also figure out that, you know, figure out what that looks like. Fostering relationships online, what does that look like? And also, you know, navigating some of the, you know, the we don't solve the problem by just taking away the potential for the problem right right? we say okay well you know they might interact with you know bad students or you know students who may not treat them nicely so let's not have them interact with anyone right that is not the solution the solution is figuring out how to do that like how do we get students to treat each other better in online spaces or interact with people in, in in better ways and you know so yeah, I think we have to figure that out. We have to. Yeah. Well, we've yeah we've seen the consequences of social isolation over the last couple of years, right? Absolutely. Which is that <clears throat> that there are significant physical and mental health impacts from isolating people, um, and we have to take that into consideration. And I hear what you're saying, and I agree with it. There are instances and cases, or whatever. There there are reasons why we may make choices to do certain degrees of isolation but again we have to mitigate for those so even if, even if if you're the parent who says like my kid needs to be home and they need to be in an asynchronous environment for whatever reason well then you also have to figure out how you're going to mitigate for that so how are you going to provide social interaction in some other way if if that's the choice that you're making because if you don't then as you say you've traded one set of problems for another one and they aren't necessarily better problems right like <clears throat> you hope you hope for that when you make choices is that you're getting better problems um but you may not so yeah. so really thinking about how do we make choices that at least get us better problems um that that would be a nice goal yeah so i think where, where we've landed on are is you know 
kind of the themes of the show. Yeah, surprisingly. <laughs> if we're going to do this, if we're going to do this online, regardless of what, how we, you know, the muddiness of the terminology, like asynchronous and synchronous, is, that's pretty cut and dry, but blended and hybrid, those are, you know, pretty muddy terms. Um, yeah. And, you know, just do a quick Google search and you'll see that yourself. But, you know, fostering relationships, you know, teaching and learning is relational work. Um, creating agency for students and providing opportunities for them to have some agency over their learning. And then, you know, the, the last one is around practice. Designing for practice, not just for for practice. Yeah. Those are good. good, I think those are good starting points. They're good starting points. Yeah. I think we should. Yeah. I'll probably be thinking about this more uh, after the show and probably, you know, yeah, Yeah, I think we'll have to, we'll have to revisit this. Um, I will, before we get to joys, I will just credit, um, for epistemic agency, probably the article that I would advise people read, and we'll put this in show notes, is called Addressing the Epistemic Elephant in the Room, Epistemic Agency and the Next Generation Science Standards. So that's by it's by a consortium of, of um, scholars. Emily Miller is the first author, but Eve Mance, Rosemary Russ, David Stroop, and Lima Berland are the authors. And it's, it's a good article that really, I think, characterizes it. Um, what epistemic agency is and also puts it in the context of, of the next generation science center. So if you're looking for something to read about that, definitely not my idea. Um, but, but a nice article to read. So you could have just said it was you and I know, but but, you know, our our millions of listeners, there's at least a hundred thousand of them that know that it's not my idea. They're like, Hey, and Emily Miller is probably listening. So and friend of the friend of the show, Brian Brown is definitely listening. And he is like, wait a minute. That's not Scott's idea. Hold on. Hold on. A and then next time you and and Brian Brown are hanging out, I'm sure like he would have next week, so, probably. Next yeah, week, yeah. Yeah, probably. Drinking right. mojitos by the pool. Yeah. Know? As we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um so Joys. Joys. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? I forget uh, who goes first. I think you can go first. I can go Oops. first today. All right. Thank yeah. you. That's nice. All right. Um, so this this week I've got a book. I've got a novel that was recommended me to uh, me by a friend, a friend. Um, it's part of a, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's science fiction or fantasy. I guess it's fantasy ish sort of in between those two. Um, and it's in between part, part. Oh, it's in between. Look at you. Uh, well just I put that on. Yeah. Um, it's of course, because of its genre, it's part of a trilogy because they, nobody writes fantasy books without making it at least a trilogy, if not yeah. more books. So the trilogy is called the broken earth. Um, but the first book is called the fifth season and it's by NK Jemison. And, um, obviously we'll put it in show notes, but I, I'm, I, I gotta say it's one of the, f- first books in a while that I is like, literally, I can't put it down. I really am loving it. And, uh, it's, it's, um, it's a story. I mean, part of it is it's got a geoscience piece to it. So that's why it was recommended to me by my, my friend, um, shout out to Oren if he's listening. Um, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's the story of this, sort of future world i guess where um where the tectonics it seems like it's earth though they've never actually said that um the tectonics of this planet are are have become much more active and then there are people who have sort of earth control powers and so um so it's really it's it's a nice book it follows this the beginning of the story starts with these sort of three story of three women um, and they, they eventually blend those, of course, lines of storytelling together, but, um, but it's, it's just, it's really nice, well-written. Um, it, it does what many good fantasy books do, which is it sort of drops you in, in the middle and makes you figure it out in the beginning. Um, and then makes things clearer and clearer as things move along. But, uh, but yeah, I've really been enjoying it and, uh, and I, I recommend it. So that yeah, sounds awesome. I'll have to check fifth it out. Fifth season. Fifth season. Uh, so mine, my joy this week mm-hmm. is, uh, something that just dropped on Netflix a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Umbrella, Umbrella Academy. Oh, season yeah. three. Third, third um, season. Yeah. Third season. I, I don't know if people, I think this probably is a joy at some point before yeah, so. um umbrella academy is a, a comic book series um that it you know i think it just finished its third or fourth um run you know storyline and uh 
this follows kind of closely um one of the one of the story arcs um what what each season uh involves you know something where they're trying to save uh the end of the world end of the earth and so the first season um ends that way the second season ends that way in the past so they go back to the 1960s and they save you know the world from ending um one of the uh characters in in this is uh a time traveler he can jump from time um so they're they're all a a, a family quote unquote family of superheroes um and when they jump ahead in time um they're not back to their original lives they're 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 they've altered in, in history alternate path yeah they're they've altered history when they jumped ahead or jumped back to the present and so they're dealing with that because they don't have a home now they don't have you know a lot like it's all different and so it's really interesting it, and it follows the line pretty closely it it does get as like anytime there's time travel it gets a little wacky in terms of like you know the alternate stuff that happens. And I think this is where some of the Marvel world is happening now. Um, But it's really entertaining. And I think it's a really good um, revisiting of these characters that, you know, so for those of us who watched the previous seasons, like you've kind of grown accustomed to these folks Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's good to, you know, kind of reconnect with them. And I, I always enjoy seeing how, you know, different stories that I've read in comic books connect to what it looks like on, on, uh, on screen. So I always try to read the thing before, just like reading a book before you go see the movie. Mm-hmm. I like to read the thing before I go see the thing um, mm-hmm. with comic books too. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, with, with some of the other things that are coming out in, in, you know, both movies and on TV, I try to seek that out um, before that happens just to see how closely it aligns. And it does to a degree. Yeah. Um, but not not strictly. So yeah, it's kind of doesn't cool. have yeah. to be perfect. Yeah, no. no, I've watched the first two seasons and thought it was fantastic. So I saw the third one had dropped, and I just haven't gotten to it yet. But I look forward to it. Yeah, it's kind of wild that the the one guy who's the author is um he's a a musician. What band's he in? He's in uh the Black Parade. Mm. Uh the not that that's not the band that that's, that's the, the song. Yeah. Uh, it yeah, is looking it up on the internet. I am looking it up and, and everyone's, you know, riveted. They cannot wait. Many people, right. many of the listeners, the millions of listeners yeah. are yelling the name of the band now because they, they, they are. They're like, they're... it is ke- my chemical romance. Oh yeah. No. Okay. Is it my chemical no. romance? Maybe. Uh-huh. No, might uh, be, could be, it might who be. knows? We don't yeah. know. But, but by next week we'll know. Uh, I'll, I I was I should have been better prepared for that, but yeah, it, one of the authors of it, he's in a band, but I only know him from you know yeah the um, umbrella academy. umbrella yeah. academy. Yeah, so there you cool. go. All right, all right, another one yeah. in the bag. Yep, at ninety nine, ninety nine, ninety eight didn't we exist made, though. But do we count it? We do. It's okay. it's out there. It's, it exists. We made no ninety nine jokes, like no ninety nine left balloons, no ninety nine, ninety nine percent invisible, no ninety nine. Podcast on the wall, ninety nine. Oh, nice. Uh, that was a, yeah, okay. Uh, now we need to stop. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Okay. Hey, so we'll see you next, next time. time. See you then. Between. Bye now.